Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles, and today, WWDC has been announced for June 6th. We're going to talk about that and maybe get into our wish list for iOS and iPadOS. Plus, iOS 15.5 beta has some hidden things about Apple Classical. I'm going to talk about some bugginess I've been experiencing with the Mac Studio. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Masterclass, Grammarly, and Collide. You'll hear about them in a moment. And joining me this week... It's my wonderful friend across the pond, William Gallagher. How's it going, William? Uh, painfully, actually, just since painfully. you asked. Painfully, yeah. I fitted an on-air light to just outside my office. Ooh. Press a button on my stream deck, sets the light on, puts on Do Not Disturb, quits mail, opens up Skype for recording, does all the things you need for a podcast. Everything worked perfectly. And then I went out to the office to the loo and the light fell on my head. What? Are you serious? <laughs> yes, I'm serious. It was it really felt- painful. Yes. Oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. I had... How was it adhered to the wall? Uh, badly, as it turns out. So, uh, yeah. Oh, my God. I'll revisit that bit. But, wow, it hurt. So, oh, yeah. my God. Was this like one of those big red, like rectangular clock, yeah. red numbers and everything? Oh, it was the full on-air red light stuff. It was, yeah. Oh I had no goodness. messing around. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my. Is this because uh, you have people constantly interrupting you and you try to record? Do you have... Just loads of people over there? Actually, in all seriousness, uh, there are occasional uh, interruptions and things, but it was more that I know when I'm talking with you, there are certain things I need to do and I have to be ready. And a couple of times, like, I've, I've forgotten to open Skype because I never use Skype for anybody else. Things. Skype, I think of Skype as my direct line to you, oh. you see. I reserve it for you. But I then forget. So I push the button and, yes, it puts on the light and it also gives me a little... Since the light's outside the office and I can't see it, it gives me a little notification on the Mac to say it's lit. Oh. Well, it's all whizzy stuff, but it means I don't forget anything. It's all done in order well, as well. So Please add to that list of things not to forget. Don't get hit in the head. Right. Uh, you could put that at the top if you'd like, <laughs> maybe. And of course, as you mentioned, that Skype is the one, the, the only reason you use Skype is to talk to me. Mm. And then for some reason on my Mac studio today, yes. Skype refuses to open. I restarted it. I'm talking about some of those issues in a minute, but then we got big news because WWDC was announced. I want to talk all about the software stuff real quick. Let's give some shout outs to five-star reviewers. William, I mean, I know you're across the pond and every time someone leaves a five-star review and they're from Great Britain, they always mention you. I don't know if you've paid somebody off. I don't know if there's some kind of unspoken rule that they have to mention your name whenever they (laughs) rate it. I don't know, but everyone mentions you. So just every time you hear that someone is from Great Britain, know that they mentioned you specifically in their review, William. I hope that that helps the head hurting. Thank you. We stick together. That's what it is. That's right. No, we're not. We're an incredibly divided nation. But there you go. Other than (laughs) that, we stick together. Well, I just want to say, just don't get a big head from all these compliments because that'll be a larger target. (laughs) for your on-air clock to hit next time. (laughs) I wish I thought of that. In fact, I have thought of that. I'll use that one later. Thank you. Okay. okay. (laughs) Very good. Well, Melody of 1974 from the USA, Del Pico left us a review from Egypt. They were from Egypt listening to this podcast, which is amazing. I've actually visited Egypt once, William. I don't know if you knew that. No, I didn't. I literally rode a camel in front of the pyramids. I'm not even kidding. Oh, we've all rode camels. Come on. Oh, have you? oh I, I didn't know. I didn't know. can't remember where mine was. But did you talk to Del Pico while you were in Egypt? I don't know. I, well, I didn't know him at the time. Wasn't doing this show then. So I'll have, I'll have to see. I'll have to see. Well, go back. You can't be rude. <laughs> I do. Listen, I would love to go back. No, Egypt was, was wonderful. Incredible country. And then Sabretooth V1 from South Africa. <laughs> South Africa is tuning in. Hassan from Morocco. That's three African countries in one week of five-star reviews. That's amazing. That's very cool. Then uh, Mr. BK's Finest. 
I don't know what that means. I'm sure that's a reference. But he's from the USA. Fruit-based car from Great Britain. I don't I don't know what kind of friends you got over there, but it's fruit, fruit-based car. And then Hendrix, also from Great Britain, uh, that mentioned uh, you specifically. So thank you all wow. for your reviews. That's very nice. Now, since Hendrix is from Great Britain, he actually had a question. We'll throw it right here at the top. And uh, I'll let you give him some of your advice. He's asking about the MacBook Air M1 8 versus 7 core GPU. He's trying to buy a new laptop. He's looking at the M1 MacBook Air, which is an incredible computer. First of all, I would say if you could hold off for a few months, we might see an updated version with like an M2. But I understand if you need to get one right away. And he's wondering, is it worth it to go from a 7-core GPU to an 8-core? When you buy the M1 MacBook Air, you have that option of upgrading that GPU one additional core. I'd be curious what you say, William. Off the cuff, I don't know if that one core is worth the extra money. I would put that maybe towards RAM or per SSD. But what do you think, William? Totally. I think the seven core option is only there because some of the eight core ones didn't work and they just chucked right. them in the sort of used bin. So great that you get some money off. The difference for most of us between eight and seven, I don't think it could possibly be even measured. There must be some people who could see it. Probably only people who spend their lives measuring these things rather than actually using these machines to do things. So I'm with you on all of that. Uh, wait if you can. Go for seven. Spend the money on uh, the RAM and the storage. Very good. Very good. And uh, before we go into all the news, William, I just sent you a picture in Slack and I wanted proof. I wanted someone else to corroborate (laughs) this picture of me on a. What did I just send you, William? Uh, It's a photograph of uh, you on. uh, Is that that a dog? A cat, maybe? (laughs) That'd be Um, a very very large dog, William. Well, you're quite a small person, I'm sure, clearly, aren't you? Uh, Yeah, sure, sure. Look, nobody's going to check this, are they? So we'll just go with it. Listen, here's the deal. Well, I don't know what podcast app you're listening to listeners but they pretty much all support chapter artwork apple podcast does this overcast so this whole time we've been doing these five star review shout outs the chapter art that you will see is the picture i just sent william which is me (laughs) on a camel in front of the pyramids no lie this is not a photoshop at all i was really there all right so wwdc is the big news i did want to mention real quick i had an interview with justin santa maria that came out Earlier this week, he actually worked at Apple for almost 10 years. Well, he originally worked on the iChat team for Mac, but then he worked on the team that launched FaceTime and iMessage. And we had a great interview. He has some stories from his time at Apple, some personal interactions with Steve Jobs. It was a lot of fun to listen to. It was just interesting to hear some of the behind the scenes about FaceTime and iMessage, especially that moment when Steve Jobs says, FaceTime will be open standard and everyone will get to use it. And Let's just say 12 years later, it's not not the case. You can send a link to Android people to join a FaceTime call, but it is not an open standard. So check out the interview. I'll put a link in the show notes. That was a lot of fun. All right, William, WWDC, the invites went out. It is happening starting June 6th, June 6th through June 10th. The keynote typically happens on Monday, most likely 1 Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, Monday, June 6th. That is when Apple will be announcing all of the software updates, iOS, iPadOS, tvOS. It is a virtual live stream. Once again, they have not gone totally in person. But I will say that the day of the keynote, June 6th, they are actually hosting a special day for some developers and students who probably are competing in some of those Swift competitions can actually come and watch the keynote and State of the Union videos 
on Apple's campus in the Steve Jobs Theater. So it's not really in person. They're not inviting press. It's not going to be a ton of people. But this will be the first time there's anyone physically present for an Apple event like this. They'll still just be watching the video. But uh, man, if I got an invite, William, I would go watch it in the Steve Jobs Theater. Mm -hmm. Would you? I think so. But I'd be looking at the building more than anything else, thinking I can watch the video oh, yeah. later. Just <laughs> at, for how many decades has there been a watch party held simultaneously with WWDC for all the developers who couldn't get in when it was uh, in person, but obviously limited seating. There are these famous watch parties, you know, five miles down the road and things. Oh. And developers would fly from all over the world to go to these watch parties. So Apple's bringing it on board. That's, yeah, that works. I like that. That's I didn't know that those watch parties existed yeah. around the conference. Great developer community outside the developers who could get in. I think so. I mean, yeah, it sounds like great atmosphere, more important than even what the technical detail is. And I know typically when there's been fully in-person, you know, pre-COVID times, there would be live shows. John Gruber would do a talk show live. The ATP guys would do a live show. Mike Hurley and Relay would do shows. And so I know there's like this whole external world outside the WWDC conference of Apple pundits and journalists and all that fun stuff, you know, people doing interviews on campus. So still excited for the day that we will return to that, that fully in-person experience where all those live events get to happen too. You think next year, William? You think 2023 will be back in person? I hope so. I'm doing more live workshops now than I have for a while and still obviously careful, still worrying and things, but it feels more normal now, the mix of life and online. But hang on, sorry, you list all those things that go on around regular WDCs, WWDCs, but you missed out yours. You do the <laughs> fastest turnaround podcast episode oh. of them all. Oh, thank you. That's very kind of you. I, I take special joy in trying to get a recap episode whenever there's a special Apple event to get that recap podcast out ASAP. Again, thanks to Ferrite, the app for iPad where I edit all my shows because I can do it super fast. And then I once the episode is up like i frantically try to refresh the feed in apple podcasts and see how quickly it can hit so it's a little game i like to play every apple event this episode is brought to you by grammarly listen maybe you're planning for the rest of 22 you're doing things for your job or you're doing content creation work well having a tool like grammarly helps you work and plan more effectively and communicate well that's so critical even if it's just an email to your team, or you're making a cover letter trying to apply for jobs, Grammarly can help you communicate properly and effectively. It's more than just a spelling and grammar checker. It's an all-in-one writing tool that allows you to clearly and effectively communicate your ideas. It's free to download. You can integrate it into your daily life. You can use it in things like Gmail, do the browser extensions. It's really everywhere. I actually use Grammarly every single week when I do the Apple Insider articles for the podcast. I run everything I write through Grammarly and it helps so much, not only catching typos, but helping me change passive voice to active voice, checking for commas, removing unnecessary commas. And I love that tone detector and formality level, especially if you need to, again, write a communication email or you're applying for a job. Grammarly can really help you out. Make sure you're clear and assertive in your emails with those tone adjustments. You can rewrite hard-to-read sentences more clearly. Grammarly Premium's full-sentence rewrites help you effectively convey your ideas and avoid miscommunication. That's a big deal. And Grammarly Premium's clarity suggestions simplify sentences to get your point across faster. So get through those emails and your work quicker by keeping it concise, confident, and effective with Grammarly. Go to Grammarly.com slash Apple Insider. Sign up for a free account. You can use it totally for free. And then when you're ready to upgrade to Grammarly Premium, get 20% off for being an Apple Insider listener. That's 20% off at Grammarly, G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y 
dot com slash Apple Insider for 20% off. Our thanks to Grammarly for sponsoring this episode. But I want to know, William, mm-hmm. some of the things maybe that are on your wish list for the different operating systems. We're going to see updates to everything. Apple always goes through the whole lineup, iOS, iPadOS, macOS, tvOS. Hopefully we're going to see some HomeKit or smart home things that come at WWDC. I, I just have a few things I want to mention on my wish list. I actually did an interview with friend of the show, Fernando Silva. We kind of talked about our iPad OS wish list, some of the things we hope to see there. And so I'll mention those here as well. For iPhone and iPad specifically, I would really love to be able to mark iMessages as unread. My goodness, I've wanted that feature for a long time. I don't know a lot of other people have. That's iPhone and iPad. I would also like to see some formatting in iMessage, like bold and italic. Would you use that, William, if you could like bold or italicize some things? No. Actually, probably not. You never put asterisks around a word to like emphasize it to your reader? Uh, No, because uh, my very first editor told me off using exclamation marks and he said, the reader should exclaim, not the writer. So since then, I've always been, make the words exciting enough that it's clear what's bold. I think if you rely on extra emphasis, bold, or even ugly, underline, you're one step away from using emoji and then, you know, you're lost completely. (laughs) Wait, wait, okay, first of all, we might, this might turn into a whole philosophical discussion about (laughs) whether or not to emphasize words so the reader knows you have to use exciting enough words so they don't need emphasis okay yeah but are you saying william you don't use emoji either no like none none never william william (laughs) a winking smiley face can communicate a lot the smirk i use the smirk all the time on twitter and an iMessage what 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 is the vendetta against the emoji smirking is bad for your health that's all i can say to you You dropping a clock on your head is bad for your health i think using emoji is plenty fine yeah fair enough (laughs) (laughs) what what what, you just don't like it yeah i think in text i write uh all the time and i'm a script writer so dialogue is is just the thing i love the most in writing and so messages and emails and things it's me talking with someone it's dialogue and i never stop in a real conversation to go hashtag upside down bracket two colon Dash or something like that. I never describe uh, an emoji, so I never use them. There you go. I'm going to be communicating to you strictly in emoji from now on in Slack. Yeah, let's see how well that goes. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see if you can interpret uh, my messages there. Okay, well, uh, this is a startling revelation. I'll have to recover a little later. Uh, some other things I would hope for clipboard management built in. I doubt this will come to iPad or iPhone, mm. but maybe Mac would give us a built-in clipboard manager where you can see the last 50 to 100 things you've copy and pasted. I use PasteBot for that now. It works great. But I would love for Apple to take a crack at a first-party version of that. On iPad, specifically, multi-app audio devices. I've been banging that drum for a while. But basically, where multiple apps on iPad can use like a USB microphone as the input. Right now, only one app at a time can use it. On iPhone and iPad, interactive widgets, I think would be good where you can like add a task in the Things widget without having to open the app or maybe interact with other apps just from the widget, like play pause on a podcast widget, like from Overcast or Pocket Cast without having to open the app. I think that'd be great. I think the mail app across all the devices needs a major overhaul. It works fine, but things like adding an attachment is still pretty obscure for people who don't know how to do it. Being able to snooze emails across services and let Apple handling the snoozing in the background, syncing that over iCloud, I think would be a great a feature. So I think mail needs overhaul. So does contacts and calendars. Let's be honest. A standalone password app on all the platforms. We've talked about that before. And I don't think this is coming, but multi-user support on iPad, especially for like kids shared devices, I think would be pretty powerful. So those, those are some of my 
wishlist things. Also, shortcuts improvements on Mac, just overall. But I don't know, William, what are some features that you would hope Apple brings WWDC time? Well, no, 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 you're not going to go away from this. No, you can't just throw these out. Are they, uh, okay, okay. Most of the ones you said there about the Mac, basically, you want Apple to Sherlock some very good third-party developers. <laughs> I mean, I use Pastebot, I use Alfred, I also use Keyboard Maestro for the clipboard manager stuff in different places. What else is there? It just seemed like uh, uh, passwords managers. What's wrong with good old one password and things? Well, you would have them be destroyed. <laughs> Listen, we know that even when Apple Sherlock's an app or service, at best, Aqua hires them, like the workflow team that turned into shortcuts. At worst, just doing a feature, not buying the company or developers and just making them compete. You know, a lot of times those third-party apps still have a life of their own. I mean, the True. fact that we have Pastebot and Keyboard Maestro means that there's a market for multiple clipboard managers. I think they would still be successful. You know, people who use Pastebot, I use Pastebot, I love it. They might have features that Apple doesn't include. And so those are reasons to use those third-party services. And the password management thing, you know, we've talked about 1Password and the whole taking rounds of investments and how that works and, you know, whether it's getting like a bloated thing. So I would just love the option. I mean, Apple already does the password saving. Technically, they already Sherlock some of the features 1Password has. Mm. I would just like to see Apple move those features into a standalone app to make it a little easier to access and manage those logins. So yeah, that makes sense. That's, that's mainly what I'm looking okay. for. Yeah. yeah, I'm persuaded there. Okay, well, what about you? Well, maybe it's just a lack of imagination on my part, but everything I want is is really quite small. Uh, you mentioned uh, adding attachments in email, but I actually think detaching attachments is it is a problem um uh, i have to show people sometimes to use where you hover the mouse to get the extra controls and tell them to choose save all even if there's only one attachment because choosing save all opens a dialog box so that you choose where it's going to go and different things like that and i find that very counterintuitive mm. i really like mail actually i keep going away to other apps and they just they break they fall over and mail never does yeah. so i keep coming back but i would like to see more integration in mail and I like to see Mel using a share sheet more. Being able to just chuck things straight into my OmniFocus to do app would be a, a, a real boon mm, for me. That would be nice. Uh, and I love, I love Safari's translate feature and i'd like there to be more languages but it's also i mean it's not hard but waiting for the url to change so that it stops saying translation available and has a little icon that you can click and then choose from the menu translate to english and things it, it when you're doing it a lot uh, it i found it a chore so i've actually created another stream deck button uh, i get keyboard maestro to look for that icon and when it sees it click it and when it sees the menu pop up click on translate uh, to english for me and I, it's I, what, can I just have a keystroke sorry Safari God this is the one this is all please I beg for this I love I love tab groups yes Ta if I didn't already like Safari tab groups would be the thing that locks me into it I think it's great except and unless you please know better than me the number of times I can't find a tab because I don't know which group it's open in <laughs> and I have to go through every single group usually to find out what is making this noise oh, you know Safari shows sure. that little icon Yep. on the tab yep. well yeah but if you can't see that tab because you're in a different group it's a slog to find your way through so one button please to show all tabs or let me search all tabs that's what i would like that's okay and i'd be happy that is very good i'm still getting used to tab groups i'm using them more and more and i have to remember not to close tabs in a group mm. like I, I now have a tab group that has all the pages i need to publish this podcast 
So in this tab group, I'll have our podcast host. I have the Apple podcast dashboard. I have our sponsors. I have spreadsheets that I put info in. So I have all those tabs set. But my habit in the past has always been as I accomplish a task, I'll close the tab that I no longer need it. But with a tab group, I'd be messing myself up. Then that, that tab is not going to be there the next time I need it. So I'm, I'm trying to get in the habit of using those tab groups, but not closing them constantly and, and messing up the group. I'm having a weird, I'm, I'm sure it's my system, but I keep finding that tabs I have closed do reopen. I go to another Mac or something and they're back and they could be from weeks ago, they're suddenly there. And more annoyingly, I open a new tab and it immediately closes. I think something is syncing wrong somewhere and I don't know what to do yeah. uh, about it. I'm so wedded to tab groups that, again, I have another button on my stream deck that takes me straight to all my Apple Insider groups, all my 58 keys things. Ooh. And uh, it would be nice if you could work that in a more reliable, easier way. But it works most of the time and it's a lifesaver. Oh, so I like that stream deck integration. I'm going to have to look into doing that. Mm-hmm. And, and I will say, I agree. There's been some weird syncing with bookmarks in Safari also. I have a bookmark folder uh, titled video for all my video project stuff. And I like my bookmark folders to be in alphabetical order. Mm -hmm. I have Apple and then I have bills. Then I have cloud, you know, ABC, alphabetical order and video. I want it at the end because V is at the end of the alphabet. And for some reason, every time I move that bookmarks folder on a device, I'll do it on my phone. I'll do it on my iPad. I'll do it on my, I'll do it again right now on my Mac. I'll move it so it's in alphabetical order with the rest of the folders. And then next time I go to another device, it's jumped up to the top. And then it's the first folder again. And so it says video and then it says Apple. And I just cannot get it to stay where it's supposed to be. And I don't know what's up with that. So it's funny because uh, I had mine reorder themselves on one machine. They're in one order and one another Mac, they're on the other. See, And I can't fathom that out at all. I don't know what's going on. Maybe it's not just my system. Ah. No, no, it's not just the clock. It's not. Yeah. Anyway, I, 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 I don't know. But listeners, let us know. What is your wish list for WWDC? What features would you like to see added to your various devices and operating systems? Oh, and we forgot to mention the invite for WWDC. It is a very mysterious Swift logo. It's, a, it's like a, a very all black invite. You see a slightly embossed Swift logo and then a very thin outline with multiple colors, kind of reminiscent of the M1 color scheme. And the amount of comparisons to the Hunger Games of <laughs> Mockingjay has been incredible. Many, many memes uh, for that. And I just want to know, William, did Apple know everyone was going to be making that comparison? And did they do it on purpose? Or were they like, don't? <laughs> once it went out and they saw all the memes, they were like, huh, we should have thought of that. I want to know. What do you think? You think they did it on purpose? Uh, strong, strong chance that we're going to see a Hunger Games TV series announced for Apple TV+. Plus. <gasps> uh, I, I can see that being the very the, the key part of the keynote, building up to that. That's brilliant, William. Yeah. That's the best theory I've heard yet. <laughs> brilliant. I thought, I thought that they were going to announce a, a battle royale fight to the death of all tech podcasters, uh, weapons of choice being microphones and boom arms, and the last person standing would be featured in Apple Podcasts for a year. I thought maybe that's that's what they would be announcing. Uh, uh Uh-huh, yeah. Um, (laughs) Or maybe it would be uh, Battle Royale developers, and their app would be featured uh, in the App Store for a year. I don't know. So, um, (laughs) how are you feeling? You're really really into these theories. You're really into these theories, I see. (laughs) So, anyway... Anyway, uh, listeners, I'd also love to hear your theories about this WWDC invite and what this mysterious Swift logo means. I mean, it could just be Swift because that's what 
Apple wants you to program their apps in. But anyway, also on the heels of the WWDC announcement, iOS 15.5 beta was released. Not any huge features here, no new features announced, but in the code of the release, there are multiple references directly to Apple Classical. It's mentioned by name. Previously, this was only found in like the Android builds of Apple Music, but now it's actually in this iOS 15.5 beta. It seems like Apple Classical is coming soon. WWDC, it might be one of the big announcements during the event. Just to remind you, they bought the Classical Music app and service Prime Phonic. Apple acquired them, again, with the intention of making a classical-specific music service. Me being a fan of classical music, I'm excited for the standalone app. I'm very curious how they actually display quote-unquote albums and tracks of these classical pieces where it actually makes it easier to navigate, easier to find what you're looking for. So I'm excited for that. You you, uh, looking forward to that, William? Yes, actually, very much. The very first day I went freelancing, the magazine I left, they'd given me Mahler's Fifth Symphony as recorded by the CBSO, City of Birmingham Symphony Orchestra. So nine o'clock the next morning, I put that on. 9.01, the phone rang. I turned the volume down, but not quite off. And I did not realise the CD, Jumba CDs, it was on a loop. (laughs) For the entire day, this gorgeous piece of music was playing, but it was also making me incredibly depressed. And I was miserable. By the end, I thought, why? This is going well. So I have a slightly, uh, well, it's not love-hate, it's more love-cautious thing with classical. But um, yeah, the, yeah. the fifth is a, is a favorite now. So uh, Listen, that's, classical music has great effect on you. One of my favorite pieces is mm. from Mozart's Requiem, the Lacrimosa movement, which is literally day of mourning, day of sadness, as it translates from the Latin. And I think it's because I'm dead inside. That's why it's one of my favorite pieces. But uh, I'm very much looking for no, no, no. Okay, no, I can out class. I can out. Um, what's the word for classical music fan? I can out enthusiast you. I think clearly, okay, clearly, okay. what we need to see in Apple Classical is uh, it's Sonata Mozart, uh, Mozart Sonata in C, uh, as done by the kids from Fame. That's what I think oh. should should be there. That's definitely, wow. it genuinely is very good, actually, but nobody remembers it. Okay, well, now, now we're going to spend a few minutes just name dropping classical pieces and yes. composers, and <laughs> William and I are going to compete here. I would love to see Arvo Pert, his Magnificat album. I want to make sure that's featured. What do you think of that, William? You ever heard of Arvo Pert? I think you've won, really, there. Um, <laughs> okay, okay, all right. No more calls. <laughs> Let me let me put a link to Arvo Pert in the show notes, and uh, so you know I, I didn't just make that up. Also, right as we recorded the iWork suite, which is Pages, Numbers, and Keynote, Apple's work suite, was updated. Minor updates, but but they include some shortcuts features, so you can actually use Keynote shortcuts to either create or open presentations, rehearse a slideshow, or even start presenting a Keynote. You can do that in shortcuts now. The number shortcuts include. Opening spreadsheets, you can add rows to a table, plus you can use voiceover to create formulas and fill cells with autofill. I'm, I'm very curious what that shortcut is for adding rows and mm. how well that works. I've been trying to automate some spreadsheet stuff because I actually use Google Sheets for a shared budget spreadsheet between me and my spouse, and there's not really any shortcuts to add a row that work well or consistently. So this shortcut works. I might be using numbers for that. I'm, I'm very curious about that. And then pages hmm. also updated now has some additional shortcut support as well. So welcome updates for sure to the uh, iWork suite that I might 
revisit my own i have a, a spreadsheet that i update uh, twice a week or something like that uh, and i do it from this like a block of text a prose text i get and then i use keyboard maestro again and some regex in it to separate out all the parts load up the spreadsheet pop it into all the places uh for it but i understood regex when i did it i don't anymore <laughs> so if it ever goes wrong i'm like yeah Mm. regex is like i don't know it's like shrouded in mystery to me you know i'll google it yes. and then you know i'll end up on some like stack exchange forum and it says ah, oh, just do this for the regex and it'll work great and sometimes it works yes sometimes i don't know i summon a balrog like i don't know what's going to happen when i use regex it's it's a little mysterious to me i'm dropping a lot of references today i feel pretty good about that i just <laughs> want to say that yeah uh, regular expressions i keep going straight i like like uh, the hip regex user i am i just call it reg really but it is regular expressions and i'm amazed how useful it is and how often it turns up in shortcuts and things absolutely i've got i just it if i feel like i don't want to knock myself too much here but it's right at the cusp of my interest slash understanding i like messing around with this stuff um especially if it means i don't have to write anything for a bit <laughs> but there comes a point when i come back to the writing and regex is right on the horizon of that for me yeah yeah it is very useful especially in shortcuts I I use it. I have a shortcut that formats all the show notes from the shared Apple note that we have, makes it into HTML, add sponsors and all that. And regex is a big part of that, you know, being able to find and replace certain things. So you see, you knew it already. There you oh, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Slash N slash N something about a paragraph <laughs> break. <laughs> I've got that on a t-shirt, you know, it's uh... oh, <laughs> that, that could be our first merch, William, just slash N. That'd be great. That's a good t-shirt. Basic Apple guy. I'd love to see a slash N shirt. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Masterclass. Masterclass is where you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. You can learn about film scoring from Hans Zimmer, who just won an Oscar, you know, for the Dune soundtrack. You can learn about space from astronaut Chris Hatfield and Neil deGrasse Tyson, negotiating from Chris Voss, that's one of my favorite courses, and even MKBHD, tech guy on YouTube, he's actually going to have a Masterclass very soon as well. Masterclass has over 100 classes from a range of world-class instructors, and that thing you've always wanted to do is closer than you think. Masterclass is great because every course looks incredible. It's beautiful cinematography, audio, all of that. And each lesson, if you do a class, they're usually broken up into like 10 or more lessons. Each lesson is about 10 to 15 minutes long. Great to do on a lunch break or binge an entire class in an evening, and you can hear from, again, some of the best minds. Samuel Jackson also has a class. I recommend that one. You can watch or listen on any of your devices. They have apps for Apple TV, for iPad. You can watch in the web, or I actually like to watch on my phone, and then you can actually switch it into audio-only mode and listen to it like it's a podcast, like you're listening right now. And they also have high-quality downloads. If you do something like a cooking class, you can get those high-quality PDFs that are basically like a cookbook. Again, I highly recommend you check out Masterclass. You can get unlimited access to every Masterclass, and as an Apple Insider listener, you get 15% off an annual membership. And you want to do the annual because then you can access all the classes, watch as much as you want. Go to masterclass.com slash Apple Insider. That's masterclass.com slash Apple Insider. The link is in the show notes as well. Our thanks to Masterclass for sponsoring this episode. All right, I also want to mention Google Maps app has been updated on the iPhone. It's added streetlight data, enhanced buildings, toll roads, things like that. But the big update is you'll actually be able to do turn-by-turn directions using the Google Maps app on your Apple Watch without your phone nearby. So previously you would have to start the directions on your phone and then your Apple Watch could display them, but you needed the phone parts. Now, if you just had your Apple Watch for whatever reason and you wanted to do a Google Maps directions, you can do it directly on the Apple Watch. 
I'm curious the percentage, though, William, of our listeners who are Google Maps users versus Apple Maps users. I think I still have the Google Maps installed on my phone, but I've been pretty much 100% Apple Maps mm. for a long time. I, I can't remember the last time I really used Google Maps. So how are you? Do you Are you a Google Maps guy or are you still no, on Apple Maps? I, I'm Apple Maps and I can remember the last time I used Google Maps. I had to get to an appointment somewhere and Apple Maps let me down. It took me to the middle of a field oh. next to something. And I, I opened up Google Maps and I found it is so incredibly frustrating That is to tell it, yes, yes, that is where I want to go. Now please go. Where's the go button? <sighs> I really struggled. And then I find I think I accidentally knocked the phone and it started working and it took me to a different wrong place. So all in all, the experience on neither was wow. great, but uh, I, I I was um, somewhat less chagrin about the Google Maps yeah. thing than I was the Apple one. So I stick with Apple. I will say I did visit England once, actually, spent about 10 days over there. We still talk about you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, thank you. But this was back in 20... 13, I think it was 2013. So Apple Maps was not super mature. And I remember trying to navigate the streets of rural England. Uh, it was not useful. Apple Maps failed many, many times. And I remember in that situation, I, Google Maps, because especially you guys over there, you get a lot of one way streets. Mm. You got a lot of uh, those, you know, the uh, circle uh, things, roundabouts, <laughs> right. roundabouts. Yes. You know, a lot of roundabouts. You don't know what direction you're supposed to go and you don't know when you're supposed to no, get out. No, you, know, no. you, you <laughs> don't know the direction you've got to go. That's really a <laughs> very scary thought. you going the wrong way around a roundabout. I, I did not drive okay. while I was there. I was like, I had oh, a driver because right. I, I was not about to try the other side of the road. So, <laughs> yes, I forgot about that. Yes. Yeah, that's it's kind of a big deal. The wheel's on the wrong side. It's just, you know. How many, what, what countries is it that drives on that side? It's, it's you guys, and is it Australia and South Africa mm. or Japan? What is I that? What is I, that? What's the country that actually changed overnight? Um, oh. That's fascinating how they were able to do it. I can't imagine the UK being just physically able to make that kind of massive change. And obviously there were reasons yeah. for it. And it was a fascinating story. And of course, I blanked on the country. So that's very useful, isn't it? <laughs> I, well, I just pulled up this article. It looks like there's a lot of countries in South and Southeast Africa that drive on that side. India, left-hand traffic, and some of the surrounding countries. And then Australia, like Papua New Guinea, the Philippines, and then Japan. So there's actually quite a number of countries. It's not just a few. It was Sweden, by the way. It has oh, suddenly Sweden. come back to me. I didn't just Google it. Uh, back in 67, <laughs> apparently. Uh, September the 3rd, 1967. Oh. If I'm going to go for detail, let's have it. September the <laughs> yeah. 3rd, 67, oh, yeah, Sweden swapped to the, from the left to the right. Wow. That was the, there, there's Google images. <laughs> Google images of just chaos in the streets that uh, I imagine that would that would happen for sure. I'll put that in the show notes. That's pretty funny. Well, I feel like we need to mention this. This keeps coming up in the news, and I don't I don't know if we'll ever hear the end of this. But Motherboard, the you know they're a technology journal publication. They looked at 150 police reports across an eight month period and found that 50 of those 150 police reports were cases of women receiving notifications from AirTag that they were being followed, that they were being tracked. So they're getting those anti-tracking notifications. Now, there's, they had a couple experts in the article, like Mary Beth Becker-Louth, 
which is the domestic violence community educator. She said, listen, this is nothing new. Location-based stalking is as old as GPS technology itself. It's just with the resurgence of AirTag, the popularity of any Apple product, and because of the notifications that Apple has programmed into AirTag, the prevalence seems to be increasing, but it might just be the awareness that's actually increasing. And then the EFF, Electronic Frontier Foundation Cybersecurity Director, Eva Galperin, said that the uptick in reports of AirTag stalking doesn't mean that the devices are spurring a rise in cases, but that the reports suggest Apple's protections are working, that people are actually getting notified that they're being tracked. Although Motherboard suggests that some people were not getting notified, even though there was rogue air tags around them. William, I feel like we're just going to keep seeing articles like this mm. because of the popularity. You know, I get notifications sometimes when I drive my wife's car and I use her keys. It'll tell me AirTag following you, stuff like that. It does tell me that it is my wife's AirTag now. That was some of the updates in iOS 15.4. Oh, good. I didn't know that. Yeah, if it is a family member, you will see whose AirTag it is that's following you. But these women report, you know, they're getting notifications. And it is usually ex-boyfriends or even ex-husbands that are trying to track their previous significant other with these air tags, which is unfortunate. Like that's despicable. And we are hearing about it again because they are getting those notifications on their iPhone saying something is following you. So I don't know, William, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, we're just going to keep seeing it. We are just going to keep saying it. It's what a frightening notification to get. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, really scary stuff. So, but the act of the following is, is the even more scary part. So being warned of it has got to be a good thing, even though it's horrible. If we could just stop following people, you know, that'd be... That would be great. Good. Just... Yeah. Don't do not do that. Yeah. Don't do that. So, yeah. I mean, I feel like Apple has done a lot of what it can. You know, they can make those notifications more consistent, but the fact that a lot of people are getting them is testament to the anti-stalking features that they have put into it. So The fr- absolutely terrifying thing for me is uh, we're all talking about this now, but things like Tile have been around for what, a decade and they had none, absolutely. none of these protections whatsoever. And they're only now, they're adding the smallest half token nod towards having an anti-stalking feature and they're only doing it because of all the fuss and the fuss is only there because of apple so apple is doing a good thing they're looking bad because they're they're these accounts all mention air tags but it's the presence of air tags that's solving something i had no idea was such an easy and big problem before right absolutely So I wanted to mention this. It looks like Apple is dominating the teen market, especially here in the U.S. There was a survey done by Piper Sandler. They surveyed 7,100 teenagers, so over 7,000 teens across 44 states. And apparently 87%, 87% of those teenagers currently own an iPhone. 18% of those own the latest, an iPhone 13. 34% own an Apple Watch and 72% own AirPods. But that 87%, William, I was like, wow. Yeah, Apple's doomed, really. (laughs) Give up now. Yeah, exactly. There were other stats in the reports that said, too, like teenagers, like the desire to get one, even if they don't have one already, is just like skyrocketing. And I will attest, my son is about to turn 13. He wants an iPhone, let's be honest. (laughs) So, you know, I get it. It's a big deal. Wait, shouldn't your son be rebelling against you and going for... Windows phone or something (laughs) like that. So funny story. I do screen time settings on my kids' devices. And when it comes to web content, pretty strict on locking that down because the internet can be a little wild. But one of the websites that when you change your screen time settings under content restrictions for a child, if you do allowed websites only, you can put the only websites that your child can visit on any of their devices. So that's the one I do. There's a bunch of websites in there. 
And Apple.com is put in there by default. There's like Apple.com, PBS, and I think a couple other websites. And I didn't really bother to remove those defaults because I was like, these are all fine websites. You know, I'm not worried about PBS or Discovery Kids or anything like that. But I was talking to myself the other day and he was like, yeah, I've been on every single page of Apple.com and I've watched every tutorial video <laughs> and I can basically tell you everything about every Apple device ever. <laughs> and I was like, oh no. But also, I'm proud of you, son. Well done. <laughs> He's, he's on the right side. He's on the right side. I used to work on, I probably can't mention the name of it, an entertainment magazine and um, website here in the UK. And uh, for all the time I was there, about 10 years ago, did I leave something like that? All, all the time, the only ambition was to increase the amount of time users spent on the site. Uh, it was a like a TV guide kind of thing. So people were just coming on, what's on BBC One tonight? And they were gone. Anything to keep them on for a little longer to show them another ad. And the gold standard that they told me at the time was Apple. Because here was this entertainment site, <laughs> masses of detail, all sorts of things on it. And I th I can't, I'm making this up now, but their figure was under 30 seconds people stayed on the site. And at that time, for some reason their figures said people stayed on apple.com for an hour <laughs> and i don't understand what you, i like apple i think apple site is incredibly well done but an hour on it i don't know barry the difference uh, and the yeah. longing in their eyes when they told me this <laughs> it's all the teenagers they're, they're all visiting it <laughs> but honestly like when you go to a product page, you know, you have to scroll for a long time just to get to anything to click, really. Sure. You know, they have all these full screen animations and it's beautiful. Like every animation is wonderful. It makes you want to scroll because you're like, ooh, that little movement of the iPhone 13s are, is really nice. And, you know, I want to see the little slow-mo uh, camera shots and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Actually, um, I think this has changed now. But back then when I was having this discussion, Apple.com was also held up as a really brilliant way of guiding you through a, a huge amount of information. Navigation was very clear and simple and you knew where you wanted and Apple took you where they wanted. And for a gigantic amount of information in a small space, it was brilliantly well done. I think it's a bit more fractured now, but still it's very good overall. When you think about the breadth of products that Apple mm. builds and sells, not only that, but also the software to support all of those things, it's a lot of stuff. Mm. And so when you look at their website, like just going across the top toolbar now, you know, they used to only be maybe four or five links. And now you got store, Mac, iPad, iPhone, watch, AirPods, TV and home, only on Apple, accessories, support. And then you got your, your bag and all this kind of stuff. Like it, there's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. But I will, I will say, there used to be one of the websites to renew their business certificates for mobile device management looked like the Apple website from 2004. Like it was just unupdated. Like they just hadn't touched it. And apparently with the launch of Apple Business Essentials last week, they've now updated all those pages. So oh. I can't show you what it used to look like, but it was something. I'll just tell you that. <laughs> it, was, it, was a, it was a blast from the past. Okay, so I want to mention Twitter. This is not Apple directly, but you know, Twitter is kind of a big in the world of Apple developer community. It's kind of the social media platform where you really see a lot of the tech stuff happen. So Elon Musk, CEO of Tesla, SpaceX, all that. He actually bought a 9.2% stake in Twitter, buying that amount of shares. And the day he bought those shares, Twitter was like, don't worry, Elon's not going to have, you know, some kind of huge influence on Twitter, yada, yada, like nobody panic. And then the very next day, Twitter CEO Parag Agrawal said he was excited to share that Elon Musk was joining the board of directors for Twitter. <laughs> He's going to be on the board. 
And he said, quote, has become clear that Elon would bring great value to the board. Now, they've made Elon something called a class two director until 2024. So for two years, it means that he is restricted from becoming an owner of more than 14.9% of the company's stock. So he can like buy a bunch more stock and have a controlling interest, at least for the next two years. But I did think it was kind of hilarious that it was like, no, nobody worry. We, you know, he's not going to have a big influence. And then he's appointed to the board. And then Elon Musk tweeted a poll about should Twitter add an edit button? And Twitter CEO was like, vote wisely. <laughs> because this <laughs> implying that this will have something to do with whether or not Twitter actually does an edit button. I just thought this was a wild turn of events. And Elon Musk is a very polarizing character. But I'm just very curious what this means for the future of Twitter. And listen, if it brings an edit button, Elon Musk being on the board, great. I would really like an edit button. I had a typo in a tweet the other day and I had to delete it because I don't leave typos up. I don't know. Would you have any thoughts on this, William? We're not going to get an edit button. And um, what? We're not. You don't think so? No, people have wanted it for however long Twitter's been around. I don't know why it can't be done, but, you know, I don't think it's an overnight fix. I don't think there was any. It's not like he's the first person that, who had any connection with Twitter that thought it would be a good idea. So for whatever reason, I don't think we're going to get it. And this will just be a, a, a talking point for a bit. And he's good at talking points for this. Uh, I'm not surprised about a company saying one thing and then the next day doing the other. I think we've had examples of that before. <laughs> Although that might just be in the UK because we've had some no, no. incidents with certain ferry companies in the UK, shall we say. Let's just leave oh. that for you to Google there. Okay, okay. Now, I don't know if you saw, though, Twitter comms, at Twitter comms, which is the verified account for Twitter communications, they did tweet... Yes, we've been working on an edit feature since last year. Oh. No, we didn't get the idea from a poll. Winky emoji. Oh, ouch. We used an emoji okay. there. Yeah, right, yes. right. right. said, we're kicking off testing with Twitter Blue Labs in the coming months to learn what works, what doesn't, and what's possible, they said. I, I think it would be really something if Twitter put an edit button behind the paywall of Twitter Blue, the $3 a month uh, <laughs> subscription service to Twitter. That would really be something. So it looks like it might be a thing, William. It might come. I don't know. Uh, in that case, you heard it here last. There won't be an edit button. <laughs> okay. Like the Apple car. Yes. You're making it, staking the claim. Oh, yeah. Not going to come. This episode is brought to you by Collide. Typically, when an organization wants to keep their security and privacy top-notch with all their devices, they lean on mobile device managers to really lock down devices, whether it's a phone, tablet, or computer, and that's something that can frustrate employees. Employees feel like they don't have full use of their devices because maybe the company's afraid of viruses or things like that. Well, Collide is the answer where you can empower your employees to use their devices freely, but Collide will message them in Slack personally. They will send messages individually to every employee and tell them the things they need to do to make their Linux, Mac, or Windows device more secure. They send important, timely, and relevant security recommendations directly to your employees and to your partners. Visit collide.com slash Apple Insider today. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash Apple Insider. When you enter your email, you get a free gift bundle from Collide after that trial activation. So super fun. And at Collide, they know that the end users are the IT administrator's most significant untapped resource. Empower them to make better decisions about their devices and fix security issues. You can instruct developers to set passphrases on unencrypted SSH keys. Collide can find two-factor backup codes that a user might just have saved on their desktop, which is not secure. And Collide will tell them in Slack, hey, 
you should put those somewhere else, not there. And it will convince employees to uninstall evil browser extensions that may sell their browser history. Those are just some of the many use cases not solved by locking down devices. So you can try Collide with all its features today on an unlimited number of devices for free for 14 days. No credit card is even required. Try it out at collide.com slash Apple Insider. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash Apple Insider. Our thanks to Collide for sponsoring this episode. Okay, I have to say, William, I laughed out loud at your opening line to your article about Severance, the Apple TV Plus original TV show that has been renewed for a second season. Your article opened with this line, the disturbing, unsettling Apple TV Plus hit Severance has been picked up for a second season. And I laughed when I read that because that is very accurate. It is both disturbing and unsettling, and I can't stop watching it. William, have you seen Severance? Yeah, I'm way behind you. I'm only a couple of episodes in, but I think it's fantastic. What gets me is... um, we're, I think we're all waiting to find out what's going on. Um, I, I read, uh, I don't know if you know that the, the series has been an incredibly long time in the making. First draft of the first script was five years ago. Well, I read that draft wow. and there are bits in it. It's very different. It's the same story, but very different. And there are little moments that aren't in the show yet. And you think, oh, because they're holding them back for horrible reveals later. So I'm extra scared oh, no. going forward of this, and deliciously so. But I thought it was a limited run and we would have a solution. So I actually, I was a little crestfallen at first when I thought there'd be more, because I like it, but if it's going to be padded out for too long. But so what is going on with... Uh, there are things like Severance here. Basically, yes, they've announced a second run. What they've really announced is you're not going to get the answers this time. Earlier this week, as we record this Star Trek Picard, they put out a teaser trailer for season three. And we're only six episodes into season two. So basically, we, we now know that Captain Picard, he's going to survive this run. I don't think we were in, <laughs> really in any doubt. But somehow it was almost like saying, yeah, sorry, this season's rubbish. There's a better one next year. And <laughs> I'm quite enjoying the seasons. So I honestly, when that came up on my YouTube feed, I thought this was a fan thing, not actually Paramount doing it, but it's real. Mm. So, yeah. Interesting. Mm. Yeah. I've, I've watched every episode of Severance so far. The finale is today as you listen to this episode. And man, the first couple episodes, I was like, there were moments where it just felt so tense and unsettling yeah. that I was kind of like watching with one eye closed, yes. like squinting through the other. And then some episodes are very disturbing. It's not for the faint of heart. It's not like horror. But it is disturbing. Yeah. I couldn't take it if it was horror. I, I just, that never appeals to me. Yeah. But with this one, I, yes. I mean, uh, Dan Erickson, creator and writer, a fantastic job he's done with it. And great for him that he's got a multi-season order out of it. Well, he's got the order for two, but uh, Ben Stiller, right. exec producer, is saying that it's a multi-season story. So Oof. hopefully we'll get the time to see it all. I, you see, I'm arguing both sides there. If I can't have yeah, it resolved yeah. in one, <laughs> let's at least make it resolve. Because there are so many series that run for, say, three or four seasons, and really the story needed a fifth mm. to finish it, so they hurry the end. I hope that sort of thing doesn't happen with this. Yeah, I will say that there's this beautiful cinematography, but the thing mm. that gets me is the score which is very simple, but the repetitive nature, the melodies you hear throughout makes it so unsettling. Yeah. And just the stark white office, it is really something. I don't know if I regret or love that I started and can't stop. (laughs) So just watch out for the waffle party, William. That's all I'll say. 
Okay, well, then let me throw this back at you uh, from the original script, just out of pure interest. Uh, you remember the first episode opens with Hallie on the table yes. trying to work out what's going on. The script opens uh, with Adam Scott's character on the table instead. So very, oh. same thing, very different. It's fascinating to, to read and to watch. Interesting. Yeah, it is. Christopher Walken is in there. Yeah, and he, he is he's quite a trip. But no, the LinkedIn page, there's also a LinkedIn page for the company. I've not seen it yet. I'm too scared. I feel like it's going to creep me out. <laughs> I can't do it. I can't do it. It's quite subtle, actually. There's nothing overtly terrible there, but there are videos, company, corporate videos, and they're, they're right. There's something just right about them. This is a real corporation, and that's deliciously well done. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, speaking of streaming services, I thought this study was interesting. Nearly half of streaming service customers, which is about 46% of the population here in the United States, say that they feel overwhelmed by the amount of programming available. It was a report by analytics firm Nielsen. They said that in 2019, so just three years ago, there was 171,000 titles, movies and TV shows available to stream. 171,000. That's a big number. But now... Instead of 171,000, there's 817,000 unique programs, movies and TV shows across all the various streaming services. And it is mind-boggling. And I feel like, yes, the amount of streaming services that you now have to sign up for if you want to watch any particular show, it feels like we really just have cable plans all over again. And I don't know if you're really saving any money anymore. Mm. I don't know. What do you think, William? Do you feel overwhelmed by all the streaming services? Well, yes and no. Um, <laughs> there are all these programs out there, but you still can't get Lou Grant streaming on anything, at least not in the UK. Mm. I find the difference of where things are and when they are and when they go away from places is a problem. But, you know, I watch... I've watched all of those programs, um, 817,999 programs. I have watched wow. them. It's Ted wow, Lasso that I haven't, but, you know, <laughs> might complete why the set not, one day. Why did I not see that coming? <laughs> yeah. I, sh I don't know why I didn't see that coming. That's terrible. Okay. Yeah, thanks, William. <laughs> Finally, I want to mention Mac Studio. I've been using it for, what is it, three weeks now? Let's see, one... To, yeah, about three weeks now I've been using the Mac Studio. I didn't get the studio display. We're not going to talk about that again. There's just so many opinions out there. <laughs> it's just, just can't cover it anymore. But the Mac Studio, I really like it. it. It does really well editing video. But I will say it's been getting buggy. Like Final Cut has been beach balling a lot and Compressor refused to open. And then today Skype refused to open on it. My Stream Deck applications, I had to reinstall them earlier today because they just wouldn't open either. So I feel like there's something going on. There need there's some like macOS update that needs to come for the studio specifically, and there's definitely an update that need to become to Final Cut and Compressor, which Apple actually says in the footnotes of the pages that talk about Final Cut performance in the Mac Studio, it does mention that there is an unreleased version of Final Cut that a lot of those benchmarks and speeds are using and that updated version of final cut and compressor will take more advantage of the mac studio i think especially the m1 ultra chip so there's some updates needed and i just want to say i really hope they come soon because it's it's kind of annoying yeah otherwise i, I still really like it i love all the ports all my devices have stayed connected i haven't had to disconnect my Blackmagic ATEM switcher or anything like that. So it's been really nice. Uh, I enjoy it. It's just curiously, you actually sound keener on it now than when I last spoke to you. I remember thinking you didn't seem overwhelmed by it. Uh, almost, I don't think disappointed, but it wasn't, you weren't excited by it. And now you feel, you sound like it, it's great, even though there are problems. Is that? Yeah, I would, I would say so. It is like, I'm keeping it. You know, I was 
going to evaluate for a couple of weeks and see, like, you know, is this something I want to keep? What about my MacBook Pro? And I will definitely say I, I, I'm going to keep it. The SD card slot on the front, as small as, of a deal as it sounds, is actually really useful. Hmm. But also the amount of ports, the power, you know, I've been doing a lot of videos recently and the Mac Studio has been handling them superbly. Export times are fast. The, you know, just having that built-in Ethernet jack, not having to go through a dock like my MacBook Pro did. I, I do really like all of it. And so it is the desktop for me. I think if you're needing a lot of power, that M1 Ultra is an option. Although I watched a lot of videos on the Mac Studio. And unless you really are doing GPU intensive tasks that would make use of the M1 Ultra like for real, probably better just to go with the M1 Max version, not only just for cost, but you're just probably not going to use that over it. Like I know for my use case, my Final Cut and compressor usage would not even touch really the M1 Ultra's power. I'm not doing 3D modeling, I'm not doing After Effects, all that kind of stuff. So if you are looking into the Mac Studio, I do recommend really consider the M1 Max version and then spend that extra money on SSD storage and RAM because that M1 Ultra, you're really going to have special use cases to utilize that. Or if you're doing like 8K red raw footage like MKBHD. But otherwise, I'm, I'm very happy with the M1 Max version. And uh, maybe we'll be getting a studio display later this year. I don't know. We'll see if it ever is in stock again. I'm I'm actually going to hold out uh, for the Ultra version because I type so quickly. Uh, I think I would definitely see a difference writing uh, in pages uh, very clearly. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I don't doubt it. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. So anyway, I am. I was really close, William, to selling <laughs> my 14-inch MacBook Pro the other day. Oh. I had a friend of mine. He said he was looking for my exact model. He was offering me a, a good number, way more than Apple would offer in a trade-in. And I was like, can I work with just my 12.9-inch iPad Pro and just a desktop Mac? Would I be okay with my only Mac being a desktop that I can't take on the sofa and work? And so I tried. I tried living iPad only for a few days. And man, I don't know. Having that MacBook Pro... I just move so much faster on it. Mm. I feel so much more productive. I don't know, man. I, I feel like, I mean, you have an iPad Pro and a MacBook Pro. Yeah. Do you ever think maybe I'd just go with my Mac Mini and iPad Pro? No, actually. Uh, I mean, I got the MacBook Pro for specific projects, uh, some of which then didn't turn out, but they were needed for it, and I needed that power on the move for it. So uh, yeah. I got it for a particular job that it's doing really well. Uh, for me i did think that i would uh, drop the mac mini and just plug my macbook pro into my big monitor and use it on my main machine and and i haven't done that for some reason i haven't even tried plugging it in so i'm i like having the mac mini doing one thing on the desk the macbook pro wherever else i am and the ipad pro yeah. uh it's probably the thing i'm using the least of them at the moment but uh what it's great for it's so good for so yeah that's yeah true. i'm happy Okay. But you didn't say. Mm. Yeah, it sounds like you didn't cave and sell, but <laughs> tell us definitively. No. I did not sell it. I, I, yes. I still have it. And then right. a after using the iPad Pro for a few days trying to get like, real, real work done, I pulled out that MacBook Pro and it just felt so good. <laughs> the keyboard and yeah. the screen and how fast it was and just having Mac OS for work. Yeah. Like, Man, this feels, this feels really good. Now, I will say, this is my final question to you, William, for today's show. Right. Uh, I ran into a, a bug the other day, and I want to know if you experienced this also. Do you have your iPad Pro with Magic Keyboard nearby? Yes, it's right in front of me. Wonderful. Yeah. If you could go to the Reminders app. Okay. Now, Reminders in iOS 15 
added a feature for natural language input, meaning you could type call William tomorrow at 2 p.m. And as you type that, you will see an autocomplete where you can tap and it will use the language you put, remind me at this time, to create the alert for you. You didn't have to go into the details of the task and like actually scroll and do the checkbox and all. You can use natural language to enter it and it would parse the details appropriately. Now, William, could you try to do this on your magic keyboard? So what am I typing? Uh, call. So type uh, call Stephen tomorrow at 2 p.m. Right. Okay. Now, Craig, now doesn't it highlight tomorrow 2 p.m. in blue? Yes, it does. Now, do you see any way to oh. confirm that that is natural language you put and you want it to be made in alert? Nope, you can't tap on the blue. And if you hit return to accept it, it doesn't go into the scheduled uh, right. thing. So now do me now do me a favor. Yes. Take your iPad Pro off the Magic Keyboard so the virtual keyboard slides up. Okay. Right. And do and you now see a suggested above the keyboard for create reminder at 2 p.m.? Uh, oh, yes, there it is. Suggested date tomorrow. And if I say 2 p.m. or 1400, then it is, it is suggesting the time. I can tap that and it is set for tomorrow at 2 o'clock. That's definitely a bug, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So that's one of those things where I like the Magic Keyboard and iPad Pro. It makes it more productive. But then there's weird quirks in iPad OS where if you want to use natural language to do a reminder, it doesn't work with the Magic Keyboard. You literally need to pull up the virtual keyboard to actually tap the suggested time and have that pop up. And so little things like that, I think, still hold the iPad back. And maybe iPad OS 16 will solve a lot of these things, but just those little quirks here and there. I don't know. I think it's a little thing, but you multiply that by like 10 or 20 little things and it just just doesn't make it the productivity machine for me just yet. Astonished. I'm trying to work out what could be different in that chain uh, from keyboard to, I mean, it's not a Bluetooth connection. It's just... The suggestion doesn't pop up. Like it could pop up at the bottom of the screen, even with the magic keyboard attached, but it just doesn't. And you can't yeah. tap tomorrow at 2 p.m. Hitting spacebar doesn't automatically make it a reminder. Like there's no way, like it highlights it in blue, but there's no way to actually interact mm. with the magic keyboard to make it. I even held the command key to see the keyboard shortcuts that are available in the reminders app. Mm. And none of them is like auto complete the thing. So that's going to bother me now. And I don't even use reminders. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> well, I don't either. I was actually like kind of investigating, like, do I want to consider reminders as my main task app again? And you know, I'm such a things proponent. I love things three. I just saw, I think, Will on Twitter. Yeah. Will Kennard was like, just tried Things 3. And I was like, yay, I love Things 3. And I was just thinking, maybe I should try Reminders again. Reminders. Omnifocus, join Omnifo us. Om join <laughs> Omnifocus. Omnifocus is like using calculus to get my change from the cashier. I just, it's so much, I just don't use it to that detail. I feel like it would not be... I, I, I actually think both of them have a quite a learning curve to get into. I think Things is the best name for a to-do app ever. Sure, um, sure. And it looks the best. It's utterly gorgeous. But it lacks certain things that I think are quite fundamental that OmniFocus has. Uh, OmniFocus will guide you through things to make sure you don't forget them. And Things is more of an onus on you to plan through and to check stuff. And I don't see the point when I've got a machine in front of me. Why doesn't it do the bits that I find tedious? And all this and OmniFocus does. Uh, I do use it a lot. I am uh, 10 years into OmniFocus now, so I know it 
it's partly I, I think it's easy through experience but i also just think it's also easier than it ever was before so uh okay. will was talking to both of us about this and um you know one day i'll go and come over to our side my side the side <laughs> the side from yeah Focus. you and he both. Saying, yes when you watch ted lasso I'll give OmniFocus another shot. On the other hand, things is quite good. So, um... <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, listeners, let me know if you also have the weird bugs like that in the Reminders app. What is your task app of choice? Do you use things? Do you use OmniFocus? Do you use Reminders? I'd love to know. You can tweet at William and myself. Our Twitter handles are in the show notes. We would love to hear from you. Thanks to everyone for the five-star ratings and reviews. And don't forget, you can support the show directly. Get an ad-free version uninterrupted plus access to our Discord channel. If you've supported an Apple podcast and you don't know how to get to Discord, search the podcast episodes for instructions how to get into Discord. It's a little weird because Apple podcast doesn't give me any way to like interact with those who support the show. So anyway, support the show. Thank you for your support. Thank you for the five-star ratings and reviews. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.